You're listening to the very first introductory episode of The Wondrist Podcast, a holistic educational podcast for creative entrepreneurs exploring mind, body, heart, and soul. I am so happy that you are here listening and sharing space with me today. My intention with this podcast is that we have open-hearted conversations where we can really immerse ourselves into vulnerable and inspiring discussions that go beyond the surface and we explore the profound connection between awe, creativity, and holistic well-being. From balancing work and life to reducing stress, fostering mindfulness, expanding consciousness, and developing frameworks that are sustainable for longevity in our industries. We're going to delve into how wonder can enrich every aspect of our creative lives and businesses. I have some really amazing guests lined up to chat with, some solo episodes where I'll dive into lessons that I've learned over the past few years and how I've implemented them into my business, as well as some really entertaining panel episodes. So this first episode is meant to act almost like an introduction to a book, which I know a lot of people tend to skim over, but I think it's really valuable to get into the frame of mind of the author. So I'm going to share with you a little bit about myself as a creative entrepreneur, but also just as a human. And I'm going to share three stories that have really impacted my life and the lessons that I've gained from each of those stories. My goal with every episode is to have take-home lessons that you can implement and integrate into your life and your business. So thank you again for listening. Enjoy the show. I've thought about creating this for years and my own inner critic and (laughs) imposter syndrome has held me back from doing this. And my beautiful friend Jill shared a quote with me this morning, actually, that really, really helped. It put into perspective what that inner critic is inside of me. And the quote comes from the Instagram account called Inspired to Write, which is an author called Amy McNee. And the quote says, the inner critic is not to be ignored, squashed, or silenced. They are to be listened to. We need to understand them intimately so we can take care of them and soothe them. Ignoring the inner critic only makes them more fearful, and the more frightened they are, the louder they are. The inner critic is not your enemy. They are a scared part of you, terrified, vulnerable, afraid. They do not need to be yelled at. They need a very long hug. Wow. So this really put things into perspective for me, and... It allowed me to take a breath and rather than just ignoring this voice saying, don't do it, don't do it, I sat with the voice this morning and I told her that everything would be okay and that I'm protecting her and that it's all going to work out. (laughs) So here I am recording this episode. There's another quote floating around the internet that says something along the lines of, there are people less qualified than you doing the things you want to do because they believe in themselves and they take action. And I realized that I more or less have lived by this quote without even realizing it. I embodied it before I ever knew it existed. My name is Jennifer Moher, and I am a wedding photographer and educator from a small town called Peterborough, which is an hour and a half outside of Toronto. And when I first started my photography business, I had zero experience. I had no business getting into it. 
I had never even owned a camera and I really lacked style, vision, taste. My creativity had been pretty much stifled since my preteen years, like most adults I know. And I remember being 11 or 12 and still having it, that sense of creativity. I was still playing with Barbies and creating these fictional made up lives for them, giving each of them their own unique personality and backstory until someone told me that that was ridiculous for someone my age. And I was also still writing and acting out made-up movies and episodes from my favorite TV shows until someone told me that that was a waste of time. I was even still decorating my bedroom with these creative themes like 1998 Titanic, full of antique items, posters above my bed of Leo and Kate, mannequins with Victorian-style wedding dresses. But when I began high school, I was so worried that people would think that I was super weird. So I did what most kids did that age, and I blended in. I stripped away all of the quirky and oddly beautiful things about me, and I became super basic. I was accepted into a sought-after arts program at my high school, and I still remember the moment I opened the acceptance letter. I still had that feeling of joy and wonder and excitement, but high school happened, and I became safe and quiet and dimmed down for fear of exclusion and a desire for acceptance that even my art teacher made comments about the dullness of my work, which obviously only added to my insecurities. So the following year, I dropped out of the arts program, and from that moment forward, everything I did was calculated in order to be liked and to fit in. I would change my clothes, my hair, my interests, depending on who I was spending time with, and I was essentially just a social chameleon with no identity of my own. I was buried so deep inside of me that I couldn't even see who I was anymore. And that inevitably carried through into my adult years where I would be swayed by the opinions of everybody but myself. So fast forward a few years, age 22, I had just had my first daughter and I really wasn't sure which direction my life was going to go. I had almost finished my degree in psychology and I was considering becoming a teacher, but obviously having a child changed that plan and slowed it down a bit. Money was extremely tight and I needed to find a way to make an income while also having flexibility with my schedule. There are these moments in life, I'm sure you can relate, where in retrospect, you look back on them and you realize they were so pivotal, they were turning points. And this was one of those moments. So with what little money I had, I splurged and I took my baby to get her photos taken. And I went to the photographer and she single-handedly within that session reignited that sense of creativity, that spark inside of me that I had lost. She had single-handedly reignited that spark of creativity inside of me that I believed was gone forever. So on my 26-minute, 19-kilometer drive home, my life changed forever. I decided and announced in my head that I was going to be a wedding photographer. It was almost as if my soul was speaking to my human body and holding her accountable. This voice is what I now call my higher self, and she makes regular appearances in my life. But I began to plan my life five years in the future. I would be a successful wedding photographer in our small town of Peterborough. I would be creative, and I would make magic images for other people. I would provide to others what this photographer had just provided to me. Except there was one major obstacle. Uh, money was extremely tight. So I had no funds to actually purchase a camera, nor did I even own a credit card at the time. So I brainstormed with my partner and we decided to sell our beloved Nintendo Wii and the games to scrape together enough cash to buy the Nikon D60 with an 18 to 55 millimeter lens. It was a sacrifice, but one that I knew was super necessary. And ultimately it would be an investment for the future. 
I was also determined that I would make the money back to be able to repurchase the Wii in the future. So I wrote out a checklist in my notebook, which listed four steps. Number one, buy camera. Number two, learn camera. Number three, build website. Number four, find clients. So the Wii sold within a couple hours and I went straight to the local camera shop with cash to buy what I believe was going to be the best pro camera and lens. So buy camera, check mark. With all the resources today, learning new skills can be done within a few hours on Google, YouTube, TikTok, etc. But back then, YouTube was still pretty new and resources for photography education were mainly limited to just buying books. So with the remaining cash that I had, I went to the local bookstore and I purchased a book about the Nikon D60. I read it front to back and started testing it out on my daughter. Learn camera, check mark. I wish that I could share with you the screenshots from my original website. I made it in a Microsoft program. I can't even remember which one it was. If I remember, I will tell you. It could have been like Dreamweaver or something like that, but it was all hyperlinks and a little bit of HTML. It was very bare bones to say the least. And it was plastered in images I took of my daughter because that was that was my only subject at the time, complete with selective color and Dutch tilts. And for those of you who are not photographers, a quick Google will show you what these are. But beware, they are terrible. But my website was built. Checkmark. So then I started putting ads out in a local website similar to Craigslist called Kijiji. And the listing read something along the lines of, beginner wedding photographer looking to build portfolio and gain experience will shoot your wedding for $200. And from this one ad, I booked my first wedding. And it wasn't that bad. I took some really good photos and I took some really bad photos. I actually think I took around 8,000 images at that first wedding, which took me forever to edit. So after that first wedding, the next 15 years unfolded in what I can only describe as a complete roller coaster. (laughs) There were ups and downs. There were hard times. There were incredible times. There are wins and losses. The duality of what took place over the past 15 years has been so magical. And I can't wait to dive into elements of the past 15 years within upcoming episodes with you guys. Essentially, the Coles Notes looks a little something like this. I photographed more and more weddings every season until I hit a peak of 65 weddings booked. I think it was in my fourth season and 150 other sessions that I was shooting alongside that, as in engagement sessions, family sessions, newborn. I was doing everything, stretching myself way too thin, and I completely burned out and had a breakdown. From that point forward, 2014-ish forward, I was getting involved in teaching, doing a lot of education courses, a lot of destination weddings, features and things like Rangefinder, 30 Rising Stars, speaking at international conferences, creating presets, passive income, also refining my work. And yeah, another breakdown, another burnout, and another reestablishing of priorities and putting myself first. So 2019 was a year of life shifts, a breakup, a new house, a new partner, sobriety. 2020 obviously brought in the pandemic, which was a chance for me to realign and go inward, go extremely deeply inward and get quieter. And the past three years have been the most transformative of any of them because it gave me time to really think and reestablish who I was and dig down as deep as I could and figure out why we're doing this, why we're spending all this time on social media, why we're spending all this time trying to impress audiences and other people. Like it just, it 
opened my eyes in ways that I am so excited to share with you. I want to share two other stories with you before we part ways. And the first one takes us back to 2011. And it's another story that will provide a lesson and give you a little bit of insight into who I am as a person. So I was in the thick of building a business. I had a four-year-old and a one-year-old, and I had completely lost who I was as a person through motherhood, through being a wife, through being a business owner. I was so deeply buried down inside that I didn't even know who I was anymore. And so I was scrolling Facebook one day and I saw an audition notice for Chicago and everything inside of me completely lit up. It was like my inner voice was talking to me, telling me that I needed to do this. And because of the inner voice back in 2007, telling me that I needed to pursue wedding photography, I knew I had to listen to her. The only thing is I had absolutely no business auditioning for a musical. I did not know how to sing, dance, or act apart from, you know, just being silly in the shower and car (laughs) or karaoke. I had no business, but there was something about it that I was so drawn to. And in my mind, I knew that I could just figure it out. There's a podcast I listened to years and years ago, and I think the title of it was Everything is Figureoutable. And I love that. I love that mindset that it's like, you just need to figure out how to do it. If I could start a photography business and, you know, within three years have 65 weddings booked and $100,000 in income with, with no talent, no skills, no training, I could figure out how to be in a musical. So I started training every single morning. My partner would go to work and I would turn on YouTube and I would start taking voice lessons, dance lessons, acting lessons. I had about a month until the audition and I just trained myself. I studied the character that I wanted to play, which was Velma Kelly. I studied her inside and out, every single person who had ever played her. I was obsessed. And so the day came that I had to go to this audition. And so I show up and there's like 70 other girls and they're all stretching and they look really like, like very professional, like they know what they're doing. And so I start kind of like stretching, warming up and trying to fit in and do what they're doing. And I go in, I do my singing audition. I do my acting audition and they go fine. Like I, I felt, you know, fairly confident walking out of them. And then it came to the dancing portion. And so the choreographer brings us into this room and there's like 70 of us in there. And she's like, okay, I'm going to teach you 20 steps. And so it's only like a minute, but a minute in non-dancer time is like 20 hours. Like I was so overwhelmed by even like the first two moves, trying to coordinate those two together. And I was in the very back row and I couldn't really see what was going on, but I tried, I put the effort in. And then as we're walking upstairs and we have to go and present this to the director and the other panel of, you know, producers and whatnot, I'm thinking in my head, like I'm, I have no chance if I'm in the back row, if I'm, you know, just kind of tagging along, blending in with these girls, I need to do something that gets, that gets the director's attention. So as soon as I walked into the room, I go right up front and center and I stand right in front of him and I lock eye contact with him and the music starts and all these girls start dancing and they're doing the moves perfectly. And I don't remember a single step. And so I just start sort of like doing this sultry sort of like strutting dance and just maintain eye contact with him the whole time. (laughs) And so it was over and I walked out and I was like, you know what? I feel good about that. Like that's what Velma Kelly would have done in that situation. I feel okay about that. And as it turns out, I ended up getting the part. 
And it was like, still to this day, I don't understand how I was able to get that part. Like, I still think like, are you kidding me? Like they let me on that stage. That's amazing. But it went really well. And I picked up some dance skills. I picked up some singing and acting skills. And it was such an amazing moment and so transformative in the sense that I told myself that I just needed to figure it out. And I did. And the more that I do this and the more that I just kind of play with fate in that way or or play with outcomes in that way, the more things keep happening. And it's so magical. And I just love living life that way. And I'd like to think that I've always been that way, but there was a gap in time where I wasn't. And I remember the moment when it stopped. I was so confident up to a certain point. And I remember being in grade seven, I was 12 years old and I had to do my school speech and school speeches are pretty common in Canada. I imagine they're common in the U S as well, or other parts of the world, but essentially in your classroom, you have to give a three to five minute speech about a topic of your choosing. And so I always had really bizarre topics, like quite quirky for a, for a grade seven, 12 year old. And so this particular year, I did my speech on Dr. James Barry. And for those of you who don't know, Dr. James Barry was a doctor that practiced in Canada. And at the time of death, they realized that Dr. James Barry was actually a woman. And she had practiced and went to school and disguised as a man in order to actually be accepted into the medical world. And I... I, for some reason at 12 years old, that resonated with me. I loved it. I loved that she pursued what it was that she really wanted to do at such a high cost. And so I did my speech on her and my mom, my mom's so funny. My mom is like such a mega nerd. And she was like, you need to wear a costume. And I was like, oh my God, I do. So we went to this costume shop and we got this old I don't know, like Victorian jacket. And I wore a fake mustache because the last line of the speech went like this. I, Dr. James Barry, am Canada's first, and I rip off the mustache, female doctor. And I was so proud of this speech. Like you have no idea. It was the same pride I felt when I was playing Velma Kelly on stage in front of hundreds of people. I felt so much pride and confidence in myself And so I won for the classroom. I got to go on, do it in front of the school. I won for the school, got to go on and do it in front of the Legion, which was a huge honor. So I'm in front of this, this huge group of people. There's probably a hundred people in the room and I get on stage and I'm so confident. I've got my jacket and my mustache and I'm like, I'm going to blow them away with this. And I see these two girls in the front row and I remember looking at them and knowing that they were cool girls. You know, they were like the popular girls and cool girls threatened me. They made me really nervous because I instantly always felt like I wasn't accepted by cool girls. So I started to get nervous. And even as I was walking up, I could, I could see that they were whispering and giggling to each other. And so I started my speech and all I could focus on was these two girls in the front row. I was so distracted by them. I messed up multiple times in my speech. I stumbled on my words and I just kept looking at them. And I've never forgotten that feeling. It lives so deep inside of me. And I use it as a reminder now because I always think back to that. And I think 
if I had just focused on the rest of the audience, the hundred people sitting behind them, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been thrown off. I wouldn't have cared, but I was so focused on those two negative people taking up space in that front row. I don't ever want to do that again. And so I tell you these stories as both an introduction to me and to give you a little background of who I am, where I came from, what my personality is like, so you can wholeheartedly choose to continue listening or not, but also to share some really beautiful life lessons that these stories allowed me to learn. So number one is to be open to new possibilities and paths and ideas that might find their way magically into your lap. You have to clear headspace for this. And I can't wait to talk about this in future episodes, especially with my my good friend, Jill. She's going to be on our next show. But you have to clear headspace and heart space for this. Lesson number two is to visualize and dream. The more you visualize, the stronger your bond will become with the concept. The more difficult it will be to let go of the future outcome, but also the more you'll begin to resonate and become that person. If you can visualize yourself in the situation, you can start acting that role because you know what it looks like. Number three is to be resourceful. Don't let things like money sidetrack you. Get creative with how to find resources. Do what you can do with what you have in those early days and be fearless. Don't worry about what the two girls in the front row are whispering. There are a hundred people behind those girls in the audience who are here to listen to you. Do it for them and do it for you. This isn't for those girls and they will eventually understand that and they will leave. I got caught up in focusing on those metaphoric two girls for years and I still go in and out of it. And I still have to remind myself that they aren't important and they are not meant to receive the message. And so the Wonderist podcast lives and breathes today. And I really look forward to what's to come. We already have a lineup of really inspiring and beautiful guests, as well as a community on Instagram where I would love to hear from you. It is at The Wonderist Podcast. You can tell me who you would love to hear from or the topics you want to explore together or anything else you feel like sharing. Thank you so, so much for being here, friends. Till next time.